Warning. Crime Convo features potentially triggering content about real-life crimes. There will be content such as violence, crimes against children, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and death. Listener and parental discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to Crime Convo. Come and join the conversation. My name is Alyssa. I'm Destiny. And I'm Nikki. All right. Hello, everybody. So, I did not (laughs) go to the store and buy anything. So, I, well, I did go to the store, but I didn't, like, go and buy, like, a large amount of things to drink for this episode. So, I had to stop at Walgreens to get something. So, I just went and picked up two big Trulies, the big size ones. Um, So, strawberry lemonade truly is what I'll be drinking for this episode. I am drinking a white cob black cherry. Yum. Mm-hmm. I bought the new pack of the Trulies because obviously. Oh my god, are you okay? I was trying to open it and <laughs> apparently I tried to rip my finger off at the same time. <laughs> Go ahead, Alyssa. Well, don't do that. I'll wait so, till you're done to open this. <laughs> so yeah, I bought the new pack of Trulies because we love Trulies up in here. I don't know what it's called. I think it's like a festive or something. Yeah, it's like the celebration pack. Yeah, this one is the rosé. And then I have a peach party and lighted up cranberry. Ooh, really excited. Fancy They're names. all really good. All right. Let's ready, set, open. Open. Mine's already open. Destiny <laughs> says, I'm already going. She's like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. I know this episode's probably going to be one that makes me mad, too, so I'm going to be drinking drinking it all up. Yeah, so I am bringing today MMIW, and I want to apologize ahead of time. This is going to be very different from our normal content in the sense that I don't think it's fair for me to talk about one case or one state. In regards to this issue. Um, I hope that this isn't boring or, I mean, anything not rage-inducing because um, that's what this has been for me. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of statistics. There's a lot of numbers. And there's not a lot of specific details and information. We're looking at with this a very, a very, 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 very big picture. Um, and in general, the negative that this is. Also, I printed this all out, as you can all hear, (laughs) so apologies ahead of time. This will be something that you hear throughout the recording. I'm going to try to keep it to a minimum, but, you know, can only do so much. Um, So, also, too, we have audience members again. Um, Just real quick, Patreon, Crime Convo Podcast. You can sit in with us while we record. Super fun. The audience members that we have already love it. So, anyway. So, MMIW stands for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. A little backstory to this coming becoming a thing in my life. Um, I live in an area in Washington where there's an Indian reservation not too far from where I live. 
and I had seen that they were doing a powwow and they do it every year, various times, multiple times. Uh, my husband and I went to this powwow and I was just like feeling it in my soul that like I, I needed to be here. I love this. This is my culture. This is where I'm from. And I saw a woman wearing a sweatshirt and the sweatshirt had said something like, you know, like gone, but like, we'll find you or something that was indicative that like, somebody was gone, but not dead. So me being the um, person that I am immediately pulled my phone out and looked it up. Her name is Kaylee and she has been missing from the city of Auburn, Washington since 2019. So my husband being the wonderful supporter that he is, he's like, hey, you should go talk to her. Like, you should go talk to her and see if you can, like, have her on your podcast. And mind you, this was, like, week two of us recording. This was, like, really, really early on that I yeah, found out about this. Yeah, it was this. for second episode. Yeah, it was, it was super, super early. And so we were obviously still trying to figure out how exactly to do all of this. But, and, and just as a reference point, I have been trying to gather information on this since then <laughs> like this is kind of what i've done in my spare time for a while so i will go into what there is available for kaylee later what i have in my hand what i printed out is the 2018 investigation report what have you that was done by uihi which stands for urban indian health institute I don't know exactly what their role is, um, but they, <laughs> the one thing that's made me the most mad, this report in my hand from 2018 is the only one that was ever put out and is the only one since then that has been put out. For real? There's nothing else. There's no other reports. There's no other collection of data. This is a nationwide collection. I have collections from our state in particular being Washington, but there's nothing nationally that has been collected since uh i also watched a movie or a documentary that i highly recommend you have to go to the movie's website it's four dollars it's called somebody's daughter it came out in 2020 and when i found it i'm like oh my god so there's like new info no the information in that movie is from this report it's oh, okay. the same data in 2020 so uh to start, what I'm imagining that they did is they took in the year, so they took in 2016, they're, all of this data and, and information is primarily based off of 2016, but they released it in 2018. 5,712 indigenous women went missing in 2016. As in one year? In one is year. Is that across the country? Yeah, then nationwide, yes. As wow. a reference point 4,551 people died in the roar of Iraq over 15 years so in one year a th over a thousand more women indigenous women went missing than all of the lives lost over a 15 year period in a war overseas wow yes wow you ready to be real mad I mean I know a little bit about this issue i guess that's the best we can say is that it's an issue i know a little bit about i obviously don't know like the s statistics or whatever like you looked up but i i know enough about it to know how not covered it is hence the like what you have being years old and nothing else has been updated about it and the mm -hmm. fact that indigenous women are just indigenous people in 
uh, in general don't get the same that people that aren't Indigenous get. They don't get the attention. They don't get the recognition. They don't get the same support. Um, yeah. I know that a lot of people do, obviously, sadly, go missing and are never, yep. never found. So it's... I wish I could say I was surprised by the numbers, but I'm not just based on what little information I already know. Well, and with this report, this is only women and girls. This is not missing and murdered indigenous people, which there's MMIWP, which is missing and murdered indigenous women and people. This is just women and girls. This is not men. This is just women. 5,712 women were missing or murdered in the year of 2016. Wow. So the other thing that's rage-worthy is out of those 500, I'm sorry, 5,712, only 116 of them were logged on the Department of Justice database. What in the actual fuck? Are you serious? 116. That's not even... That is by Name Us, N-A-M-U-S, which is, in essence, the government's, like, missing persons. That's only, like, 2%. That, yeah, it's... That's, like, inhuman. That, that That's not okay. Just straight not fucking okay. So, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has reported that murder is the third leading cause of death among American Indian and Alaskan Native women's and the rates of violence on reservations can be up to 10 times higher than the national average. Um, the documentary, Somebody's Daughter, had a little more specifics on this. So, one in three Native women are going to be raped in their lifetime. In Canada, Native women are six times more likely to be victims of homicide. In the United States, they're 10 times more likely. of rapes are by non-natives in the general population, so being off of the reservations. 80% of them are by non-natives on reservations. 86% of total rapes on indigenous women are by non-natives. Now, non-natives is not discriminatory to white men, black men. It's just Just not native people. Not native. So... Also, I'll go over that later. We can go over that later. Okay. Just these numbers alone are infuriating. That is page one of this report. That is the first page. And this is just information as of 2018. We don't, so we don't even know what the numbers are the right last now. And I've looked. I tried. I have looked for last year's numbers. I tried to see if I could find something on last year. So not even going over what we have this. They're year not so researching far. it exactly. Because the problem is, they don't care. The people that are supposed to care, our government, our police, they don't care. So, I I have a rebuttal to that. So, history. Um, in 1978, there was a U.S. Supreme Court hearing, Oliphant versus the Suquamish Indian Tribe. And the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that Indian Tribe Courts, and this is quoted off of this, off of this, um, report off of this. Indian tribal courts do not have criminal jurisdiction over non-natives. So on reservations, there are reservation police. There's the native police that are um, 
working on the reservation. So in 1978, the U.S. government said, if you are of a tribe or a crime is committed on reservation land, you cannot go after. You have no jurisdiction over somebody that's not native. So, and we'll go into more specifics and data and numbers to back that particular part of this up. I did know something about that. I had seen something on one of our true crime things that we all watch. I don't remember what story it was or how long ago it was, but that is something that they kind of spoke about on there is how the reservations have their own police. They have like their own politics. They have their own way of running things, which honestly, that really probably is how it should be to a point, but there has to be also be an overlap at a point yeah. too, when there's things like this too, to be able to yeah. help them. Cause they clearly don't have the resources that they need to be able to get the support that they need for situations like this. Right. But I, I do know that that is part of the problem is they don't have the quote unquote manpower. They don't. Or whatever. Yeah. To be able to put what little resources they do have mm-hmm. towards investigations and finding people and looking for evidence and logging for evidence and doing all those things that you can do on a larger scale across the country. Right. So that's probably a huge part of the problem as to why things are missed and people aren't found. And again, there has to be an overlap. There has to be a way to where they can join, join forces to be Mm -hmm. able to help in those situations. So it's Mm -hmm. like, what what is, but I'm sure it's like, where does that line? What is that fine line to still let them be native and operate the way that they want to operate but giving them the resources to yeah keep their people alive and one of the things that i really appreciated about the somebody's daughter documentary was if you are not familiar with native tribes and the way their culture and community is ran women are the leaders of their communities women are sacred in their beliefs and in their in their everyday lives women are sacred women have the ability to bring people onto this planet women sure they didn't go out and hunt the food the men would go hunt it the women would do the rest of everything with with it they would make the food they would skin the animal and make the pelts that were used for traded or to keep them warm or to make their houses they fed their children they took care of their children they held the fort down while the men were out gathering the things that were needed and in a more urban setting it's women hold all of or a lot of the historical like historic historical information you know they hold the rituals they hold the spiritual aspect of it they hold the you know the folklore and wives tales Mm -hmm. and you know men do as well but as, as a whole big picture women are the core of the native american heritage and i feel like because we are in the area that we are in here in the pacific northwest and washington I'm not saying we know a lot about natives, but I feel like we do have a lot of interaction and a lot of overlap community wise. There's powwows all the time. I mean, the high school that I went to, we had, um, cause my school was named after natives. 
Um, they've since changed the name because people want to be sensitive about everything. So right. the name got changed, even though that high school specifically was given that name by the natives. And it was to be in exchange of us as a school and as a city to celebrate that particular tribe, which at mm -hmm. my high school, we did do that. We had a month and Puyallup, throughout the month, the tribes would come. And we would have assemblies where they'd have these big powwows and they would have people come to our history classes and they would talk to us about their tribe and their history and all that stuff. And it was freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. I myself am part native. I sadly didn't get to know that part of my family because Same. that particular person was not a good person. Um, so I never got to know that part of my heritage. I know I don't look native at all but <laughs> if you saw pictures of my dad and my brother randy it would make sense there's there's no question yeah yeah <laughs> there's no question that they're my family and there's also no question that they're that they're native i wish that was a part of mm -hmm. my heritage that i did get to know and sadly i'll probably never know what what tribe or or really what area or anything but i'm just saying here in our area we're all familiar with native culture to some type of degree yeah. Well, and one of the things, too, that I found really interesting, and just a little backstory, Rain is the director of Somebody's Daughter. Um, Rain wrote several of the MMIP policy and proposals for the Biden-Harris Indigenous Policy Justice Subcommittee, which are reflected in the president's executive orders. So he is very much so involved in the politics with the current president in regards to that. One of the facts that they said in this documentary was that Pocahontas and Sacagawea are both MMIW cases. I couldn't exactly pinpoint how it was with Sacagawea, but Pocahontas, um, for those of you that don't know, it is not like the Disney movie. That's not how it went. I mean, it's briefly how it went. Long story short, Pocahontas was taken back to England with John. And she was basically whitewashed. Her, she changed her name to Rebecca when she was there. I believe it said she was 14 or 15 when she left, which is not abnormal. I mean, back then they only lived to be in their 30s or 40s anyway. But she, the, the report of her passing is she was sitting having dinner with, his name wasn't John. I didn't write it down because it's not entirely important. Um, she was sitting having dinner with him. She threw up and then she died, which she threw up and for died. those for those of us in today's for me anyway, I read that and I was like, somebody poisoned her. Yeah, because she died at like 20 years old. So it's not like she lived there for a decade or decades. She she lived there for a handful of years. That poor girl. Sacagawea, all I was able to find was obviously she was traveling with the Discoverers when she died. Um, she was traveling back with them because she had been kidnapped by another tribe. Um, and I guess they did some kind of like barter thing. They got her back and on their travels, she died. Now she was traveling with two men. Like she's a young thin woman traveling alone with two men in the 1800s not that i'm going to say that lewis and clark were bad dudes i don't know but that that's just indicative that history in school has not been taught correctly or justly to 
those two women in particular? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things historically that we I were mean, just right. told in school for what what the government wanted us to know, basically, instead of what really happened, whether it's indigenous or African Americans mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. Asian people and, and so on. It's it's really anything yeah. though. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot that, that comes out later and it's like our exactly. history's been whitewashed. There's a yep. lot of things about people of other races that are not accurate that they teach mm-hmm. us in school. Mm-hmm. So Continuing on in this report, um, in a census analysis in 2016, 50.2% of the urban Indian population identified as female. The data in this report also includes LGBTQ, non-binary, and two-spirit individuals. Urban Indians are tribal people currently living off of federally defined tribal land, so not on a reservation. And 71% of American Indians and Alaskan Natives live off of the reservation. So that's a little fact in there. So collecting the data is what this page is called. UIHI utilized a multi-pronged methodology to collect data on cases of MMIWG, which is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, with the understanding that what is reported and recorded by law enforcement, covered by media, and remembered and honored by community members and family rarely matches. As demonstrated by the findings in the study, which we will go over further, lack of quality data include underreporting, racial misclassification, poor relationships between law enforcement and American Indian and Alaska Native communities, poor record-keeping protocols, institutional racism in the media, and lack of substantive relationship between journalists and American Indian and Alaska Native communities. In effort to collect as much data as possible and to be able to compare the five data sources used, UIHI collected data from the Freedom of Information Act, or FOIA, requests to law enforcement agencies and state national missing persons databases in search of local and regional news media, online archives, social media, direct contact with family members, and volunteers who who volunteered information when people went missing. So that's how they got all this information. They attempted to collect data in 71 cities across 29 states. 80% of these cases, okay, so that that 5,000 was just in 20, 2016, but this report goes over all of the data from, I believe it was 1,900, yeah, 1,900 to the present. No agency was able to provide data back, dating back to the 1900s. I believe, yeah, the earliest one was 1943. So this data is off of everything that they were able to collect from the agencies as to what they were willing to give them. Mm. 80% of the cases in this report have occurred since the year 2000. So 80% of these happened in the last 23 years. And that's just, of course... The data that they have, the information that they were able to receive. Right. Well, last the last 23 years minus the last five years, because it's missing information, but that's Mm -hmm. still a lot in not even a 50-year period, not even a 30-year period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, let's be real here, the the record-keeping's put much better now than it was. No, it's not. So... 
These cities were selected because they either have an urban Indian health center that is affiliated with UIHI, a significant population of urban Indians, or were found to have a large number of missing and murdered indigenous women cases in a preliminary consultation with key community leaders. So I will post this picture, but Nikki, there's you to see. There's the 70... 71 cities nationwide. Seattle and Tacoma are on it, of course. Seattle and Tacoma and Spokane are the three cities that our state is made up of. Portland is the only one in Oregon. There's a handful in California. Um, there's five in Montana, one in Idaho, one in Utah, one in Colorado. Yeah, one like here and there. What yeah. did those cities sig- signify? Um, these cities were selected because they either have an urban Indian health center that is affiliated with UIHI, the organization that created this report, a significant population of urban Indians, which are the Indians that live off of reservations, or they were found to have a large number of MMIWG cases. Yes. That's where they're getting their data from. Large cities. So I wonder if they're accumulating at around that as well if it's only including those large cities because we do have other tribes outside of both so those cities. I, I those can cities, I mean. post maps later on to um Washington State in particular. So here is an example. This is how it's split up in Washington. So Seattle is in essence like all of the Pacific Northwest Spokane is just this tiny little circle and then like Tacoma is kind of like down. So it's oh, okay. So it's, it's, it, it engages the rest of the cities. Yeah. They basically gave a name to a general area. On Which is okay. basically what we call it anyway. Seattle, okay. Tacoma. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause like Seattle could be all the way up to, um, like Everett and beyond because we have tribes up there too. So right. well, they're all over. Yeah, all over. yeah, all over, all over Washington State. We have them everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now that we've looked at how they got their information, where they got their information from, the places that they were looking at, now we're going to get into their findings. Their findings are a couple of pages long, and then we get into the the. Okay, UIHI identified 506 unique cases of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls across the 71 selected cities. 128 of them, 25%, were missing person cases. 280 of them, 56%, were murder cases. And 98% of them, 19%, had unknown status. A case was flagged as status unknown in two circumstances. When law enforcement gave a number of total cases in response to a record request, but did not clarify how many were missing and how many were murdered, which 16 of those 98 were. And when a case was listed on missing persons databases, but had been removed. However, UIHI could not verify whether the woman or girl was located safe or deceased. So, 19% of these 506 people, these women, we don't know if they are dead or alive. We don't know what happened. Um, 135 cases, 27% of them were victims aged 18 or younger. So, they could have been found. They could have been found safe and sound. They could have been found deceased. And we don't know. We don't know. 
So 135 of them, 27% are victims aged 18 or under, and a mean victim age was approximately 29 years old. Out of 387 cases for which the victim's age was able to be determined. So out of that 506, only 387 of those cases had ages associated with the girls. 96 of those cases were tied to broader issues such as domestic violence, sexual assault, police brutality, and lack of safety for sex workers. In this report, domestic violence includes an intimate partner, violence, or family violence. 42, so 8% of these cases were domestic violence related, and 14% of domestic violence related cases were fatalities, and they were 18 or younger in age. At least 25 victims, 6% of all cases, experienced sexual assault at the time of disappearance or death. 18 victims, 4%, were identified as sex workers or were victims of sex trafficking. And 39% of the victims in the sex trade were sexually assaulted at the time of their death. For this report, sexual assault is defined as penetrative and non-penetrative sexual violence that and includes victims who were found murdered and left nude. Eight of the victims were identified as homeless, six were trans women, and seven were victims of police brutality or death in custody. The youngest victim was a baby less than one year old. The oldest victim was an elder woman who was 83. Wow. Wow. That's a big. This encompasses huge all of them. difference. There is not. There's no discrimination for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who's included or not, ex- or not included. Yeah. So UIHI was able to identify the victim's relationship to the perpetrator in 24 of these 128 cases. 13 were victims that were killed by a partner or the partner of an immediate family member. Three were killed by an immediate family member. Six were killed by a serial killer. Two were killed by a drug dealer. Of the perpetrator, UIHI was able to identify that 83% of them were male and approximately half were non-native. 38 of the perpetrators were convicted. Nine were never charged. Four were acquitted. One had a mistrial and one committed suicide. Altogether, 28% of these perpetrators were never found guilty or held accountable. In addition, and then an additional 30 alleged perpetrators still have pending charges. This is in 2016. No, this is of all of the cases that they found from 1945 oh, okay, okay, okay. to uh, 2016. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. There was a page that I took out. It was a black page. Uh, It was called the Invisible 153. That page was signifying the 153 women that do not exist in any law enforcement records. So, 153 women, there's nothing on them anywhere. So, how do they find out So, we just know that there's 153 women missing, but we don't know... They were reported missing. But... But there's nothing else. But there's but nobody took any information as to who, what, where, when, mm-hmm. age, age, location, whatever it may be. So they just know that there's 153 women unaccounted for, basically. Mm-hmm. 
So the 506 wow. unique cases are the unique cases that they identified over the 71 selected cities. 128 of them were cases of missing women. 280 were cases of murdered women, 98 were cases with unknown status, and 29 was the median age of all of those women. That was the page that I got, I got heated. I was so mad reading that. So, the 506 cases, they separated them out into areas. So, the Pacific Northwest includes Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. The states with the highest number of cases are as follows. New Mexico with 78. Washington with 71. Arizona with 54. Alaska with 52. Montana with 41. California with 40. Nebraska with 33. Utah with 24. Minnesota with 20. And Oklahoma with 18. And that's just of these 506 unique Cases that they identified. No matter what number it is, large or small, it's one too many. Either way. Mm -hmm. The areas with the largest number of urban cases with unknown status were Albuquerque with 18, San Francisco with 16, Omaha with 10, and Billings with 8. Notably, both Albuquerque and Billings Police Departments acknowledged the request but did not provide any records or information or respond to any follow-up to the UIHI with records provided, while well, records provided by San Francisco Police did not specify the name or status of any victim. Omaha figured prominently in this list, like many jurisdictions across the country, when a person listed on the Nebraska Missing Persons Database is located, the notice is removed with no public information as to whether they were found safe or deceased. So here are the top 10 cities out of all 71 in the United States with the highest number of MMIWG cases. Seattle is number one. With 45. Number one? Oh my lord, I wish I could say I was surprised. Two out of the three cities in our state are on this list, by the way. The top ten nationwide. Albuquerque, New Mexico is next with 37. Anchorage, Alaska is next with 31. Tucson, Arizona, 31. Billings, Montana, 29. Gallup, New Mexico with 25. And then there's Tacoma with 25. Omaha, Nebraska, 24. Salt Lake City, Utah, 24. San Francisco, California, 17. Top 10 states with the highest number of MMIW cases. New Mexico is number one at 78. Washington is number two at 71. This is I just knew that New Mexico had a really large number of indigenous women and children missing. I, I already knew that. I have a friend that's native that's from over there and she has a good handful of people that she knows that are missing. Yeah. I can say I was surprised that we were as high on the list as we were. We're on both the top 10 cities and the top 10 states. I'm honestly list. not. Because of the first of all just cuz the amount of population we have here. Like native, not every yeah. state has as much natives as we do. Mm -hmm. I was surprised that Alaska was not above us. That's the one that True. I was surprised of. True. Alaska does have more native than... The and native. a lot more places to just hide people. Disappear. And they're yeah. number four. I mean, we have a lot more woods, but they have... Yeah. Yeah, Alaska's number three. Um, between us and Alaska is Albuquerque. And like we were talking about earlier, this Seattle encompasses, like, northern Washington, 
down to basically the line of where Tacoma is. And then Tacoma bubbles out to basically Oregon. And then there's like Spokane over here, which is this tiny. Yeah, they're considering it all the way from all the way up to Canada. Well, hopefully they're considering the coast too. Yeah. Yeah, most likely. That's a a very large area to cover that they're considering Seattle. Well, and I mean, if you were, I mean, I know of the the primary tribe here being Muckleshoot, but mm-hmm. for those of you who have watched Twilight, those are actual native tribes here in Washington. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of that is 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 factual. I can't remember what are they. The push there's the Push Beach, and then the the what's the tribe called? I can't remember. Twilight fans, remind me. Oh, uh, Quileute. Quileute. Yes, Northern that is an Wash- actual tribe in Northern Washington. Yeah, my uh, so my. My grandpa's actually Quinault, which is like kind of on the way to Forks. Yeah, there's Quinault between. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there um, there's tribes everywhere, which I think is why they made Seattle such a big area. Right. So one of our audience members um, said, "Yeah, Washington per capita is way more people, and if you go missing in Alaska, bish, you gone." <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's probably why. So the next Alaska, <laughs> yeah. So the next section in this report is challenges and ob- challenges and obstacles in obtaining the data. So they requested all of the all of the documentation that the police had on these particular cases, which in case you didn't know, unless they are like open investigations and even in open investigation situations, you can request documentation. Sometimes you have to pay for it, sometimes you don't. Um, I personally spoke to somebody with the Auburn, the city of Auburn Police Department in regards to Kaylee's case, which I'll go over into a little more detail later. So UIHI asked for all data on cases of missing persons, parentheses unsolved only, mm-hmm. homicides, suspicious deaths, and deaths in custody, solved and unsolved, mm-hmm. involving missing, uh, involving native women, um, that the victim was female or identified as trans, a woman or a girl. Seventy-one police departments and one state agency were surveyed. Out of those, 40 agencies provided provided some level of data. 14 agencies did not provide data at all, and 18 agencies still have pending FOIA requests as of the cutoff date of October 15th, 2018. Wow. So 56% of them provided some level of data. 46% of all surveyed actually searched their records, though not all provided comprehensive data. 10 out of the 40 agencies provided data, but with a caveat, meaning they only confirmed cases that UIHI had already logged, provided what they could recall from memory, or gave partial data. 14 of the 72 agencies surveyed, 20% did not provide data at all, and 18, 25% are still pending. Those combined with the 10 caveat cases comprised of 59% of all of the agencies surveyed. In sum, nearly two-thirds of all agencies surveyed either did not provide data or provided partial data with significant compromises. Uh, 13 of the 72 agency surveys did not respond to the request within the time set 
by the local statute, and an additional 12 agencies, which is 17%, failed to respond at all within their local time limit by ignoring the first attempt, but did respond in time when a second request was filed nine months later using Muckrock combined these 25 agencies. Goes to show how much it's cared about. So that was literally them just asking for information. Literally half. More than half. More more than half did not provide provide data or provided partial data with significant compromises. Yeah, that's infuriating. So departments like Anchorage and Lincoln demonstrate that it is it is possible for urban police departments to respond to a request for such data and that the barriers other agencies have identified are not inherent to law enforcement as a whole. So the findings highlight that the FOIA process is, at best, laborious, requiring intensive follow-up and resources from the requesting agency. For example, a representative from Juneau Police in Alaska explained that they received UIHI's initial request at the same time as an unaffiliated project at another institution filed a request for data on sexual assault on Alaska Native women. The agency assumed any request on violence against Alaska Native women must have come from the same source, so when they filed the other institution's request, they closed out UIHI's request. Similarly, in October 2018 phone call, a representative from the Los Angeles Police Department claimed UIHI's two prior FOA requests, FOIA requests to their agency had been closed out by being lost in the system due to understaffing. They had a backlog of thousands of requests that three staff members were responsible for filing. Many were not answered or were routed to the wrong agency. An entire year later, the agency expected UIHI to file a third request and get back in line. The fuck? In another case, the chief of police in Billings, Montana, after having received a second FOIA request from UIHI, wrote... Quote, your assertion that we have ignored a similar request from eight months ago is false. Unless you sent your request elsewhere, this is the first time we have seen it. UIHI responded with screenshots of the initial request and of the automatic email received stating that the request was received and was processing. But UIHI never received any response to the email or to the record request. It's kind of like when you work in customer service and they like add your manager refer to, to email, my last email and they're like oh they never got back to me and then you send like the email back over and it has the date on it mm-hmm. that's my favorite hence this is what we all do for a living yeah. <laughs> right so we're all very familiar with when this. you call them out <laughs> right yep it's my favorite however some agencies were helpful and provided case data in a timely manner manner for example A representative from Anchorage Police Department was one of the very first to provide comprehensive data on MMIWG cases in their jurisdiction. Not only did they search their records for cases, they also searched the name of each case UIHI had logged to determine why they may not appear on their department's search results. Mm -hmm. Similarly, a representative from the Lincoln Police Department called for clarification of the request to ensure that they were pulling all of the pertinent records. So more than half of them didn't do anything, but there were the few that did above and beyond for what they needed to. Is that something personal on whoever works there? No. I'm just going to leave it at that. 
$4,464 were paid by the UIHI in required fees from 13% of the cities requested to request this data and information. Just as a record, they put they had a $68 budget for this project. So the team doing this report had to come up with $4,400 to pay for the request for the records that they may or may not have received. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. One of our audience members said, everybody not wanting to take accountability. Yep. Literally. That's a problem. So, this section is lacking records and racial misclassification. This was another one of those that made me mad. And Seattle is on this list. Nine cities, 13% total, reported the inability to search for American Indian, Native American, or Alaska Native in their database reporting systems, despite the common and expected practice of classifying victims by race in data systems. Meaning... Native American is not an option in their database to search by. Really? 13%. That's weird because, like, what? Many natives adopted Hispanic names back during colonial times. Uh. Our crime, this is a quote, our crime systems are not flexible enough to pick out Native Americans from others in their systems. It would be impossible to compile any statistically relevant information for you. You know, Mm. I'm sitting here thinking about, like, you know, when you, Fill out an application. And Native is not your an race. Is it Native not? is not an option. Same as like medical stuff. When you're filling out medical stuff, Native is not an option on there either. I feel like um, some version of Pacific Islander Native is an option. Mm. If I'm not mistaken, there's, there's I don't know, but I think so it's like what Alaska. do they classify themselves as then? Other or so here here's an intel. So in Seattle. UIHI was initially provided one list, then subsequently provided another. Considering they had significant overlap, UIHI asked for an explanation of the difference between the two and were told, quote, The homicide unit found that N was being used in the 60s up through the late 70s and early 80s, meant Negro, not Native American. Mm. However, all of the names that were on the original list which presumably had both American Indian and Alaskan Native and African American names on it, were also on the second list and did not provide any clarification. So in Seattle specifically, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, Natives were classified under N, which the definition of in their records was Negro at the time. Wow. So they can't even get their race properly. That not even the same. But at least they were able to admit it. You gotta get, I I had to give Seattle credit for this in saying, like, this is the way that it was done. We acknowledge that it was wrong. Yeah. This is why those things. I mean, they have no control over what was done in the past. Yeah. Additionally, several police departments provided UIHI with data that included both American Indians and Indian Americans with visibly Indian American surnames. Example, Singh. So Native Americans were being classified in the same category as Indians from India. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. When asked about this misclassification, a representative from Sacramento police claimed that Indian American names must be victims who were biracial. What? What? (laughs) You and I had the same reaction, Destiny. What? That's just what they said. (laughs) 
A representative from Sacramento police claimed the Indian American names must be victims who were biracial. Okay, Sacramento. Yeah. Seattle and San Francisco and Los Angeles each are located on homelands belonging to tribes that are not federally recognized. The Duwamish, Olon, Tongva peoples, respectively. I apologize if I pronounced those. Duwamish is Duwamish is, yeah, I know that one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In this way, is it possible that American Indian and Alaska Native women and girls indigenous to the land the city is located on may not even be included in the city's data on American Indian and Alaska Native people on their deaths and disappearances go uncounted on their own homeland? So, sure, it's Native land, but are they getting... Are, are their deaths and disappearances being reported if they're not on their own land? Records obtained from Anchorage police showed that two-thirds of the cases UIHI identified that were not in the data the agency provided were indeed in their system, but three cases were misclassified as white, one was classified as a suicide despite the case having been reopened as a homicide, one was classified as an overdose when her body had been moved and disposed of suspiciously, And one was not considered as having kidnapped within the city because she had been kidnapped from a bar within the city, but killed just outside of it. Oh, my Lord. What the fuck? I know that this is a lot of a lot of data. I'm reading directly off of this. I hope y'all are paying attention. This is just proving that they're not putting things into place into their systems correctly, which could very much so be adding to them not being looked into, researched, or paid attention to. But at the same time, like, they just didn't provide this information because, sure, it was suicide, but it was reopened as a homicide. You're not going to point that out. One was an overdose, but her body was moved and disposed of suspiciously. How is that not important? And how is that not being looked at as a homicide people don't just find dead bodies and move them because it's tuesday (laughs) (laughs) really though oh my god so uihi found 153 cases that were not in law enforcement records of all of the data gathered in the 40 cities where the where foia request produced results So of that, what is it, 42%, I think it was 59, 42% of those cases were found by UIHI's diligent research and not present in the law enforcement data that they received. The 42% was made up of cases from 26 of the 40 cities. So 65% of the cases that they had records of, the police did not have any records of. Wow, dude. So... Top 10 cities with the highest number of MMIW cases that are not in law enforcement records. Seattle is also on this list. Mm. New Mexico is on the top with 20. Montana is on the second with 17. Nebraska with 16. And then Seattle with 11. Anchorage still below us with 9. Then New Mexico 9, Colorado 7, Oklahoma 7, South Dakota 6, and Great Falls, Montana 5. So... Of the cases in Seattle, there is a percentage of them that there is no law enforcement records of these these women or these girls. The next section in here is urban MMIWG 
in the media. Before we move on, I have a question. Okay. And I don't know if you looked into it or not. Is there any studies? Because, like, I'm curious with um, indigenous women compared to white women compared to black women compared to Asian women. Is there anything that compares though? Like, is, is this happening otherwise at all? So, which I'm sure it is, but probably not as much. There's not a lot. Okay. The only one of those specifically that I have seen referenced is white women, because as we all know, women in general are devalued. They're devalued and they're they're singled out and they are they are identified and attacked as for being women. There was one I have to find it because there was one page where it had said Native American women were I believe and hopefully I'll find it as we go on. Uh, Native women were four times more likely than white women to be a um, victim of certain attacks. Um, but there's not been comparisons, like, okay. like literally, I mean, not that we need to compare, I'm just curious, like, this is, is this happening to women in general and how much is it happening and, you know. Yeah, the only number that I can remember off the top of my head was indigenous women are four times more likely to be the victims of, I believe it was sexual assault. Don't quote me on that until I verify. Um, but this report that I'm reading, you guys, is the only one. This is the yeah. only one. Yeah. Even this organization has not put out another one since this one. Like, this is it. Yeah. And we're looking at data from 2016 so that was released in 2018. Ago. This is the only one. And this is the this is the most comprehensive that goes into the most detail. But this is it. There there is no other one at all. Yeah. And I I I have scoured the internet for this. So this was a whole other issue. Um, this was the media. Um, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in the media. More than ninety five percent of the cases in this study were never covered by national or international media. They found 934 articles, which collectively covered 129 out of the 506 cases in this study. It's kind of like what I was talking about earlier, how, like, they don't get the same, like, recognition as people outside of Natives do. I mean, same thing goes for African-American people as well, but a whole lot less for indigenous women and children like it's rare that you're gonna see on the local news or the national news that you know so and so missing from such and such reservation yeah has been missing for 24 hours for a week for a month for whatever it may be you're not gonna see flyers you're not gonna see things online mm -hmm. like you said with the information that you have it's very very small like why are we not as a public in a community getting that information out there. Why are news broadcasts not out there like that? Like it, it doesn't make sense why they're not getting the same recognition. Yes. Not every case period is always going to get that recognition. We already yeah. know that, but a girl is, missing. why is there never anything right. about it? One of the things that I think is, and I don't know what the specifics are, or the background specifically to it are, but there's obviously, like I said before, tribal police 
and then there's city and state police. If something happens on tribal land, technically, the city police don't have jurisdiction on tribal land. And vice versa, the tribal police don't have jurisdiction outside of tribal land. Right. I think a big part of it is the two of them not working together. So, something happens on tribal land, the tribe doesn't have enough resources on any level to do what they need to do to solve that case. Outside of tribal land... The police think, oh, well, this is a native girl. She lives on the reservation. The reservation police are going to figure it out. The tribal police are going to figure it out. But that's more like on a police officer, detective, whatever level. I mean, more like even as a community. Why is there not anything more happening in the community or local news people getting on it? Like, I don't understand why... That's not happening. Is it because well, you're not the hearing about natives it? don't have yeah, like the natives don't have the resources, so they're not out there trying to go to people in their community, or are we lacking as a community outside of the natives? Yeah, but where where is that? How do we overlap that to where okay, yeah. yes, there's jurisdiction issues. There's not really much that anybody can do about that unless they figure out a way to have an overlap, right? But as a community, there needs to be an overlap too. To be able to help each other out, provide that support. So, like, how does that, how do we all collectively, like, fix that to make it happen so that these things are more out in the public, Mm -hmm. so that more people do have their eyes on it to help these women and and children get found? Like, I mean, I think, I think personally, the fact that this has been under my nose. At least since 2018, and I had no idea that this existed, let alone Mm -hmm. that it existed on this level. I think step number one is talking about it, is like, just look at, just look at the the primary numbers. Look at the 5,700 cases, and only 116 of them are on record anywhere. Yeah. Um, One of our Patreon people is making a really good point here saying, why aren't the casinos funding the tribal police and why aren't the casinos funding searches and research programs? I 100% agree with you. They are making millions, trillions, billions of dollars on those casinos. But also... They have more than enough money to be able to help with that stuff. But also, devil's advocate, they are funding the reservations that's true they are funding the reservations that is the money that those tribal reservations make period they have nothing else like any other urban area has that makes money for the community yeah but if they have money to revamp their casino like muckleshoot okay they've been revamping the casino for god the last that thing is years. huge seriously that sign like it's like five times the size that it was before yeah they could have been like hey we should dedicate a chunk towards this they have they have to have the financial ability to be able to do that if they have millions of dollars to make the casino bigger yes because they want to increase their their profit there then they have a couple thousand a couple hundred thousand dollars to put Mm -hmm. towards you know what we have these cold cases within our native community 
that we could throw some money out there to try to put this out in the public outside of the Native community. But we don't want to put it all on the Natives, though, because we know, again, there's a lack of crossover. So Mm -hmm. there will be some, there will be some information tying into what you're saying. So we'll get there. So media. One quarter of the total number of cases were covered by local, regional, or national media. Less than one-fifth of the total number of cases were covered more than once. Less than one-tenth were covered more than three times. And less than 5% of the cases were covered more than five times. More than five times. The top 10 cases that received the most coverage, 62% of all coverage, and 47% was regarding just one case. Nearly all of the articles UIHI surveyed, 91% regarded a murder case, and 83% of the cases covered by media were murder cases. There were 27 articles printed in national or international media covering 21 cases of 506. 21 of them were covered nationally or internationally. So this was another topic that made me mad. Um, Violent language. 38% of the media coverage of the, what was it, 40, 62%, whatever it was, 38% referenced to drugs or alcohol use, 33% coverage of trans women's victims that misgendered the victim, 31% referenced the victim's criminal history, 11% referenced their sex work. 8% gave false information on the case or did not name the victim. Whoa, whoa, didn't name the victim? 4% made excuses for the perpetrator or used victim-blaming language. And 3% showed images or videos of the victim's death. Okay, this is the section that's pissing me off. This is not okay. None of the things that you just said, even if it's just one time, none of that is okay. Whether it's gender, race, what happened to the... All of that is not okay. At all. Like, that is things in in my perspective, categorically, is mm-hmm. inhuman. Yeah. That's not okay. Just well, straight it's like, if somebody's missing, does it really matter if they're a drug addict? Why does it matter if you are a sex worker and you go missing? Yeah, what matters is you went You're missing. You're still a human being, and you still have people that love you that are trying yeah. to find you. Unless you're, like, literally the worst person on the planet that's done all these horrific things. Yeah, that's and different. You but these people don't are deserve just... that. But these are just everyday people like the three of us. Just because they have a different line of work, or they identify as a different gender, or sexuality, or race. <sighs> this is the stuff that pisses me off. So much because those things and so much of these, a lot of these cases, whether it's this subject or other subjects, these are the issues within the native community or just in general. Like everything comes down to the same type of stuff over and over and over and over. Like it's not, it's not okay. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not okay. I'm, this part's really making me mad. So at this point, they are not identified as native in databases or they're just not in databases whether that's nationally or locally 
they are misidentified as Negro or other or whatever. So they fall into a pool and are not paid attention to. It's more important everything around how or why they disappeared in a not beneficial way. Like, she was at a bar, therefore she was drunk. Or this man went missing, but it was a transgender woman that went missing, which is a whole other level of identification to attack. It's a person. They're missing. So, um, at the end of this report, I would like to point out, and I will put a link to this. So if mm-hmm. you would like to look at this entire thing, there were there was a lot that I skipped over. There were specific details, pages. Um, they put an endnote, which shows all of the places that they got their information. So the National Crime Information Center, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the Department of Justice, the Urban Indian Health Institute, Seattle Indian Health Board, Community Health Profile, violence against American Indian and Native women on the criminal justice response. I mean, it, there's a bunch of them. Okay. Um, I There's a list, there's pictures with maps of certain women in cases. I'm just going to go over the Washington State one. Um, so, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in Pacific Northwest cities. These are just examples. There's no details, because this is just, here's what it looks like. Um, In Seattle, UIHI has recorded 45 cases, including Patricia Yellowrobe, who was from the Rocky Boy Chippewa Cree Reservation and was murdered by a serial killer in 1998. Bet you we know who that one was. And Sandra Mm -hmm. Smiscon, Ashton Rays, Nicole Westbrook, and Eviona Cortez, representing the Yakima... Tlingit, Navajo, and Blackfeet nations, Sandra Ashton, Nicole, and Ivana were all randomly killed in acts of gun violence in 2003, 2012, 2018. Uh, Tacoma has 25 cases, including Tika Lewis, who went missing in 1998 at the age of three, Teresa Davis, who has been missing since 1973, and Jacqueline sailors who was a puyallup tribal member who was pregnant when she was killed by law enforcement in 2016 uihi has recorded one case in spokane mary bercier who was announced as missing by a relative in 2018 Um, by this picture she looks like she was an older woman um these range from 1943 to 2018 uh portland has recorded six cases, uh, including Dusty Gray, who was homeless when she was reported missing in 2017. This report has sections. There's California. There's Alaska. There's there's all northern all the plains and Great Lakes. And these are just like this. These are just maps to show you kind of how each individual area was laid out. Um, and then they have an appendix which kind of goes over everything. So Seattle as a city. Seven people are on this list is missing. 38 people were murdered. Thankfully, Seattle has zero unknown with a total of 45. Tacoma has 13 people missing, 10 people murdered, two people as an unknown status, totaling 25. Um, The highest on this list is Seattle. Um, Next to that would be Albuquerque, New Mexico, with three missing, 16 murdered, 18 unknown for a total of 37. 
so that's going to end that report. Um, real quickly, I did find newer information on Washington State specifically. Um, it references... In 2017, there were reported 3,220, I'm sorry, 322,865 missing women. 10,642 of those are missing Native Americans. 8,172 are missing Native American children. And 5,000 are missing Native American women and girls. And of those... 23,991 native cases, 116 are in the database. Seattle, Washington has the highest opened cases in a city of missing native women and girls. Washington State has the second most opened missing Native American women cases with Name Us, which is that national database. Washington State specifically... HB 2951 was enacted July 7th in 2018. The bill directs the Washington State Patrol and the Governor's Office of Indian Affairs to study ways to increase state resources for reporting and identifying MMIWGs. Washington State HB 1713 creates two tribal liaisons to work with Washington State's 29 tribes and urban Indian organizations. The liaisons are directed to come up with protocols when police take missing person reports. The Savannah's Act directs police officers and detectives through the United States to thoroughly investigate MMIP cases. The Savannah Act was reintroduced in 2019. New stipulations will include wording from the two bills above, initiated by MMIWW's Earth Feather Sovereign. Washington State leads seven other states that have adopted language of Bill HB 2951 and HB 173. So the state that we live in is top on the list, but we are leading seven other states in the bills that we have passed as a state to try to help them do better. Like, we are trying to do better. It's good that our state is put things in place to try to help them and do better. And I definitely appreciate that. And I think it's great. And clearly there's reasons why things weren't done until now. So it's a step in the right direction, but sadly it's still not enough. No. They're still not getting the resources that they need or the help that they need. Mm -hmm. So MMIW has a task force which is now federally in the government. November 2019, this is one thing that I will give President Trump credit for, he signed Executive Order 13898, establishing the MMIW Task Force. In October 2020, Trump signs the Savannah's Act and Not Invisible Act. Savannah's Act seeks to address problems with MMIW data collection and access. The Not Invisible Act establishes an advisory committee composed of tribal leaders, law enforcement, federal partners, service providers, and survivors on reducing violent crimes against Native people. In May 2022, the Biden administration named the committee members. May 5th, signed by Biden, is now National MMIWP Day. Governor Jay Inslee, on July 23rd, 2023 of this year, 
signed Substitute House Bill 1177, establishing a cold case unit specifically for MMIWP. As of April 2023, there are at least 113 missing Indigenous people in the state of Washington. Bill 1177 creates a task force with the state attorney general's office that can work with solving cold cases involving MMIWP. The unit may proactively offer assistance to law enforcement agencies with primary jurisdiction over an MMIWP or cold case, but the unit may not investigate or assist with an investigation. Except at the request of the agency, the unit must prioritize assistance to jurisdictions that do not have sufficient resources to investigate the cold cases. (sighs) So, Washington is doing a good job. The last thing I wanted to talk about, because I know I have been talking a lot and giving a lot of paper facts. So, me personally... Back to the powwow from the very beginning. I saw the sweatshirt. I went over and I talked to the family. I gave what I understand is uh, her aunt. And it's Kaylee Mae Nelson Jerry is the missing girl from Auburn, Washington. I gave her my phone number and I just told, I explained to her, hey, I'm local. I'm doing a podcast. I had to explain I'd say about four different ways what a podcast is, what that means that I do. Um, And I said, you know, here's my phone number. I really want to get her case out there. I really want to talk about her. I want to talk about what happened. I want to talk about what's known. I want to get her as a person out there because at the very least, maybe it'll get to the right person. Right. Maybe someone will know something. I don't know if it is something with this family in particular i don't know if it's a fear thing i don't know if i don't know what it is i met them when we started this and i have not been able to have a solid conversation with any of them i looked into her case the only thing that is known is she was last seen in 2019 She was in a car accident, I think it was about a year beforehand, and it was really, really bad. And she became addicted to opiates, because that's important to know in the news reports. She had become addicted to opiates and became involved with some not-so-great people. And there was a possible sighting of her in 2021. Um, The police arrived... They looked into it. They couldn't find anything. Um, When I started looking at her case on the Name Us website, I looked up her name specifically. I got her case number and I got the detective that was assigned to her case who retired a year and a half ago. So. So there's no current contact. I called the Auburn Police Department and I said, hey. I have this case number. I would like to request whatever documentation you have on anything that's been found, anything that you've looked, anything that you are legally able to give me with this being an open missing persons case. They said, well, the detective that you're calling to talk to retired and we don't have it assigned to anybody else. Our commander's on vacation. So I'm going to take your information down and I'm going to give your contact information to the commander to call you back. So the guy retired a year and a half ago. 
And they haven't reassigned the case? And they haven't given it to anybody. What but in the actual... Don't they normally do that? Reassign, reassign the case? You would think. I, I don't have an answer for that. I don't know. I would think that's what would happen. I'm with you, Destiny. I'm gonna I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna I'm gonna take a drink right now too. I don't know. So I talked to the commander. He called me back and at first it took him two weeks to call me back. So okay. when he finally he called really me back man. Okay. when he called me back, he's like, Hey, this is Commander such and such with the Auburn Asshole. Police Department and I was okay. like, Oh fuck, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like oh yeah I'm, I'm you know returning your call about this case number and i was like oh fuck okay <laughs> so he, all of the information that they have on their record is all of the information that i just gave you she was last seen october i think it was october of 2019 she was seen on the corner um of Safeway where that little like knitting place is kind of by the hospital. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um she has not claimed her tribal checks since then. So So she's probably dead. She's not or home indisposed. and she doesn't have income. And then there was the report a possible report of a sighting. They looked into it, they couldn't find anything. It was noted in their report that she, it was not abnormal for her to disappear for a month. So what he said is it was not abnormal for her to disappear. She would come pick up her check from her aunt because it was delivered to her aunt's house, whom was one of the people that I tried to contact. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then she would go off the radar. Which they're probably blaming on the fact that she was using opioids because she was struggling with addiction. So she would be Mm -hmm. gone for weeks at a time. So they probably just took it as, oh, that's that's just what she does. And they skipped over That's a few weeks, not this long. And if she's not even getting her money, then... She's not. And I, I have no yeah, idea how much I'm, money it is, but from it doesn't what, matter. It's enough to buy drugs. The little bit that I got was so that was her income. Yeah, the yeah, little bit that I got was it. that's the money that she was making. Um, but it was important for the police department to note that she was. He called her a transient. The fuck? The person you talked to called her a transient. That's what's in their report. A transient, I think when I looked it up, um, and I'm, it might have been the wrong word. It's just someone that's like in and out. They're not constant they're not right they're, they present. disappear for weeks at a time and then come back mm-hmm. okay um i, I do like recall him saying that they did not respond to the family until three months after i don't know if they didn't report her missing until three months of her not picking up her checks Maybe. or if they didn't respond until three months after the report was made um to clarify she did go missing outside of the reservation land so in an urban city that's not classified so and that's it i found one news report on her case um which literally is from the auburn police department saying kaylee may nelson jerry has been missing since this date if you have any information contact us here wow not where she was last seen not what she was last seen wearing not who she was last known to associate with not her normal routine of being gone for a month like none of that nothing yeah it just tells me that if she's been gone this long she she obviously had a pattern okay Mm -hmm. she would leave for this long and then she'd come back once it exceeds that point there's something wrong Mm -hmm. there's obviously something wrong 
in the time that I was speaking to the family, the, the little bit of conversation that I was able to have with her sister's baby daddy. So Kaylee's sister's not boyfriend, baby daddy. <laughs> to clarify, he made sure to clarify that. Um, okay. While I was talking to him, he, he got really excited because they had found a Jane Doe. Mm-hmm. And he sent me the police sketch of what whoever it was determined this Jane Doe would have looked like. And this picture, it Look, looked so much like her. And it wasn't her. It looked so much like her. The police had given the family the sketch. The police had given the family the details before they had done DNA testing. After they had given the family all of the information, all of the hope, all of the excitement, they did the DNA testing, and it wasn't her. That's icky. Why would they do that first, giving them that false hope? It's icky. I feel like it was potentially a, they had the drawing, they had the sketch, and they had the picture of Kaylee, and they sent it to the family saying, hey, does this look like her? We think Because I looked at it, and I was like... Oh my God, that looks like her. Like, it looks like her. So they probably sent it in a in an attempt to be like, in identifying of like, Maybe. hey, is this her? That's fair. That's but fair. if they have her DNA, and they obviously have DNA from whatever remains they found, they can have solid proof. You can have solid, this is her or not, if they have DNA for her to prove that it's not her. They have DNA to prove that it is or isn't. Why did they call first? I don't. Yeah. I don't understand. It just gives them false hope. And and if you said it looks exactly like her, obviously the person looks a lot like her. It really does. It really, really does. I'll have to. I I don't think I'm going to share that to social media because I don't think we know who that is yet. I don't think that person has been identified. I can try to see if I can contact the police department to see if they've put out any kind of releases on it. I'm not sure. I just got the picture from the family member, which I don't yeah. know if I should you or shouldn't have to, got it. Yeah. You don't want to give out false information. Um, I think when we do post this on our socials, though, it would be a good idea to put up whatever information and whatever pictures you do have of actual Kaylee. Kaylee. Yeah. Yeah. You know, help get her name and her face out there. Yeah, and at the same time, like, I am still trying to contact her family. Like, there's still, like, there's still kind of back and forth little, like, hey, I still want to talk to you. And I'm like, cool, let's schedule something. And then nothing. Like, hey, I still want to talk to you. Okay, like, let's, like, how does this day work? And then nothing. Do you think they, like, fully understand that we're trying to help? They could be nervous. Uh, yeah, and and, you know? and I've thought about it a lot. I've talked that. with my husband about it a lot. Yeah, there could be a fear level to it, and that's absolutely valid. Um, One of the other things that came out with this um, Somebody's Daughter movie, the connection with missing women, in particular Indigenous women, and the meth ring from Mexico, Mm -hmm. they come here. Like, the cartel comes here Mm -hmm. and then distributes everywhere else. It's yeah. We already knew that though. I didn't it's, know that. Oh, I, did. I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why would they come here? Mexico to the top end of the United States because That's we're a border far. state. There's a lot That's of people why. on meth here. We're a border well. state, so they can be more international. That's why. And we have such a diverse diversity here. On top of it, 
On top of the fact that we're also sadly known to be one of the states that has a huge problem with, with drugs. Yeah. yeah. All, all and it makes kinds. sense. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, I just want to throw out there, if Kaylee's family does listen to this, this episode, please know that we're here. I know our podcast isn't very big yet. Who knows if it will ever, we'll get there. But the point of mm-hmm. our podcast specifically we've always say that we're concentrating on the victims and that's what we're going to continue to do. So mm-hmm. if you guys are listening, we do want to help you in any capacity that we can. If we can sit down and talk to you and get more information about Kaylee out mm-hmm. there, who she was as a person was or is whatever her status may be to help bring you guys some kind of peace, then we would love to be able to do that for you. And I can say to you, our listeners, if any of you are related to a missing or murdered indigenous woman or girl or anyone for that matter, especially missing and, and after diving headfirst into this, our podcast might not be big, but it could, and, and her Kaylee's family, one of Kaylee's family members said this himself. He was like, you could get to just the right person. Mm-hmm. They could you listen to your know. podcast in Arizona and see the picture that you share of her and be like, oh my God, I saw her at such and such place. Or I know her. I met her somewhere or I saw her with anything, anything at all. So I know for me personally, yep. I am I I now have a fire under my ass on this MMIW cause and everything around it. If you are a family member or relative, a friend of a missing or murdered indigenous woman or girl or man or whatever, crimeconvopodcast at gmail.com, send a request. You can ask mm-hmm. for one of us specifically, all of us. The whole point yeah. in this is getting the information out there, getting the details out there, especially in cases that are unresolved, that there is no conclusion to for for loved ones that you don't know where they are what happened definitely if we could help on any capacity we would love to be able to do that for anybody that that needs it um one of our Mm -hmm. patreon said pretty much the same thing we just said there could definitely be someone or something wanting to be i cannot read this Wanting this to stay quiet. Yeah. Oh. Well, and I think, too, especially with the drug connection. Yeah. From what I had gathered, Kaylee was hanging out with people last they knew that were questionable. I don't know who they were. I don't know what what their relation was. She was last thing When she got in the car accident, she was going to be driving from here to Montana with some guy that the family said they, they had a bad feeling about. I don't know what that means. Okay. So, especially in cases that are related to drug cartel or whatever, yeah, I could absolutely understand fear. I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we don't even know that. It's just, it could be. Yeah, we know. have no idea. So, there was a quote from John Lewis, who led peaceful marchers across the Edmund Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday, March 7th, 1965. For the Reduce, Return, and Recover Act that he was fighting for, which I did not find any information on online. This was in the Somebody's Daughter documentary. His quote was, 
When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have a moral obligation to do something, to say something, and not be quiet. I do know that Reduce, Return, Recover brought requested amendments to Savannah's Act, which tribal leaders have asked for more amendments to it, but they were not added to the bill because they were deemed too expensive. I know this was a lot of information. This is a lot of numbers. This is a lot of facts. I apologize if this was hard to listen to, to pay attention to, but I genuinely hope that you absorbed any part of this because any part of this is egregious any part of this is unjust unfair not the way our justice system should work i hope that our listeners out of this at least keep this in the back of their mind as something to pay attention to something to look out for The women that go missing are generally roughly 100 pounds, long dark hair, darker skin. If you fall in that category, follow our safety list that we went over in our online dating conversation episode. Pay attention, be aware, text people when you get home. But on that note, with all of this information and data, as we always do, we want to have a moment of silence for Kaylee, but also for the thousands that are known or unknown on a list of numbers or not of missing or murdered indigenous women and and men indigenous people because this case just went over women but any missing and murdered indigenous women or people but also locally for kaylee may nelson jerry Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you in a couple weeks. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Bye. This song is the Cherokee morning song. In this song, they are saying, I am of the great spirit. This was chosen to show deepest and true respect to the native people and cultures. podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Google, Pandora, Amazon, and Radio Public. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Crime Convo Podcast.
You're welcome to contact us with your reviews, comments, concerns, and suggestions at crimecompopodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>